This place is 12 miles of underground tunnels. And one word of advice, I know that these tunnels are really, really unstable. There have been hundreds of people that have died from these tunnels. Now, these tunnels go in so deep underground that you actually lose oxygen at some parts. So we have to be really careful down there. We're in tunnels that are going to kill us, and we're running out of oxygen. Yes. Fantastic. We're going to be the ghosts. Well, thank you, Susan, for a very insightful download. Um, though I must admit, Paul, I think she's trying to kill us all off. We invite you to enter this portal of strange and unimaginable. I simply ask that you suspend your judgment and expand your mind in the vastness of the unknown. Come witness the wonder that is our reality. The truth is out there, and so am I. Wife of a Demon Hunter, extraordinary tales of all things paranormal. Hello, my name is Dorinda Stewart, and I am the Wife of a Demon Hunter. My guest today has over 35 years of experience in the paranormal and supernatural. He was the lead investigator for the Sci-Fi Network show Ghost Hunters International. He's a director, editor, and researcher. He has written several books in the field of research, such as The Complete Approach, The Influence, The Mist of Gods, and I love this title, My House is Haunted, Now What?, and the latest book, The Deception of Gods and Men, which I had the privilege of hearing him talk about with his co-worker, Brian Allen. Please welcome Barry Fitzgerald. Hello, Barry. Hi, Dorinda. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, well, thanks for being here. You have traveled the globe in search of myths and legends in Ireland and other places, but Ireland has a lot of folklore like banshees and leprechauns. What are your favorite stories as a kid growing up in Ireland? Um... I think, shamefully, um, growing up initially, I was introduced to the Banshee through Disney. Oh! And it was uh, it was my father had brought me to see uh, um, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, and uh, it was a Disney movie made with Sean Connery, I believe. And that was the first time I was introduced to the Banshee, and and shamefully. I can remember as, as as a child when the banshee appeared on the screen. I I, I got off the off the chair in the cinema and ducked down behind the row. Um, <laughs> didn't want her to see me. Um, it was a terrifying thing at that age, uh, but uh, it was one of those things that that stuck out. Uh -huh. um, and I, I think you know, have, having a strong Celtic heritage, we're never too far away from from the metaphysical here on the island. And, and we see that on a daily basis here. Um, you know, we, we would have roads, for instance, that normally would, would, wouldn't think twice of, of destroying a tree, um, uh, one of the, the old sacred trees, um, anywhere else around the world. But here, here there, there are occasions when, when the road is actually altered. Um, and it's put around the tree, um, and people are allowed to continue. And there are old folk tales about people who do uh, disturb those trees and what can happen to them, um, and 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 anything to do with the fair, the fairy, the she, as we call them here. Um, yeah, you have to you have to uh, you have to uh, move around that particular subject with uh, with, with with hush puppies. Um, and because you don't want to annoy anything. 
So did you ever have an encounter with a ghost as a child? Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, I was growing up in a, in, in a house um, back in my hometown in Northern Ireland. And it was Christmas Eve. And I can remember waking in my bed. And I was dying of thirst. And, and I went to go down the stairs. But our stairs at the time... It had a double landing on it, so you were down onto a, onto a separate landing across and then down again, so you were actually coming back in yourself. But I had a habit as a child always to look over the banister all the way down. Now, with it being Christmas Eve, that didn't change, and I looked over and there was a, there was a person coming up the stairs who I did not recognize. Um, but uh, I assumed Christmas Eve, it's Santa, and I'm caught. Uh, so as a child, that was my first encounter and it was it was years later in fact i was in my late teens whenever i relayed that story to my parents and uh, it seems that that within my hometown that house was known for having disturbances uh, but my parents always sheltered us from them and you know it's, it's a strange thing to render that that as a child now thinking back on that property i have nothing but good memories in it we, we laughed a lot and, and, and the great family memories. But um, that particular house haunted my dreams, my nightmares. Uh, and every time new people were moving in and I was continually trying to tell them, do not move into that house. There is something which I couldn't remember what it was. It was something so bad that I just simply blocked it out, but I wanted to warn them, do not go into that particular property. And each time I saw the house, it was, it was, it was falling into disarray more and more and more. And as time progressed, um, the, the last people to live in that house, I think lasted about three months and oh, they right. left. And after that particular period for years, in fact, the house was, and I wasn't in the town and the house was, it was falling into disarray. Um, and uh, and then suddenly, suddenly the the dream stopped, and and that was the end of it. And whenever I returned to to my hometown, I found out that the house had been knocked down. And um, so that that finally brought an end to whatever had happened that I simply couldn't remember or blocked out. Wow, <clears throat> it's interesting. A lot of people have some of those childhood memories, and it's interesting that you take a long time to even speak to your parents about it because. You're, you're afraid or something. And um, the fact that the house was knocked down, that's interesting that that kind of made your nightmares or your bad dreams kind of go away. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So did that bring you to your paranormal research and ghost hunting, those kind of things? Or I think I think my father had something to blame, uh, has, has, has some blame to accept for that, uh, because he set me down in front of Star Trek and Doctor Who um, and uh, and they th those particular shows, of course, en enthused my my natural curiosity, and uh, and I think between that and and I, I I would have to say that that my Celtic heritage would would have to take a huge um, um, hit with this that uh, that all everything together combined to put me onto the path that I'm on, and I tried to come off it. I, I, I did try to come off it. Um, I think I was 17. I said, enough of this. Mm -hmm. This is enough. Um, I want to go my way. And, and being that rebellious teen, I, I headed off in my direction. It was six months later that I realized that I had gone 
in a roundabout way and ended up back on the path. And it was at that particular point I realized, okay, I'm meant to be here. So in 2006, uh, the American TV show Ghost Hunters aired, um, and it was the the attack of the Irish Elemental, um, and you were on there. So how did this American TV show find you and get you on their show? Well, um, at that particular time, um, they they needed someone in Ireland, and they contacted their friends in in Washington D.C. Um, and the guys in Washington D.C. Um, knew me, and they said, "Well, we actually do know a guy over there, um, and he's involved with the paranormal, and he can uh, he can help you out." Now, initially, I was only meant to be a fixer. It was just make sure everything runs smoothly within Ireland, and that was fine. That was okay. That's all um, I was asked to do, and, and I was happy enough with that. But one of the guys from from the from the show was afraid to fly. So when they arrived, they were down a man, ah. and they said to me, Barry, how are you with going on to camera? And I said, well, that, that's fine. It's okay. I never gave it much thought. And and that was that. And both both those particular shows uh, went out. They they broke the, the records um, for the show's history. And within, within months, I got a phone call from L.A., and I was asked, Barry, we're doing a, a spin-off show and we're going international. Would you consider traveling the world, experiencing all these things? And I, of course, I was going to jump at it. And, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and that was it. And, and the rest is history, as they say. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so, you know, in your ghost hunting thing, because, you know, you did, uh, you know, several episodes for uh, Ghost Hunter International and you went to some really interesting places um, one of the, one really interesting place um, was one of the first places that you went to with the 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 horse carriage and things like that. So explain that a little bit. Do you remember that? They all meld into one. I can't. Oh, <laughs> there was one that um, uh, that you there was like a, a horse carriage. I'm sorry, I don't have what exactly that was what it was, but it was like one of the mm. first. It was like a castle or something that you guys went to and. Um, and um, I thought later on that you had talked about that was kind of one of the most interesting um, things that you did. Because when you're on the show, you guys pretty much debunk. You try to debunk some things, and then you try to see what's real and what isn't. So, yeah, it was it, it was it was kind of unfair, really, um, because it's it's very very difficult to make that particular call within 24 hours. Yeah. Um, places haunted or not. Um, and uh, and I also under, I also understand that that there are occasions when when they don't want to be found and and they will they will remain out of the way. Um, but um, I can't remember that particular episode. Um, there 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 were so many. Um, initially, the first season we we pretty much did a lot of of Europe. Um, so there were there were there were castles all the time. Um, and, and large large manor houses, but uh, it was season two then that we started to to really start to hit the international, from my perspective, the mm-hmm. international um, arena, and uh, we we were going further afield. But there there were a lot of of incidences that occurred, which which didn't make didn't make the cut, which which I was kind of way annoyed about. Um, there was there was one particular place in in Brazil, 
and and that particular house it was it was a hotel and uh, and it was haunted by this thing that was attacking people at night um, within within one of the one of the rooms now for me it was always important for us if we got the opportunity to stay in the location right for the week that we were there that that was perfect it, it allowed us to to embed ourselves into it rather than just arriving doing the show and then leaving again and staying in a hotel in the next town over and uh, i i begged to have that particular room that, that the attacks were happening in but more more so than anything else the house was built or the the, the hotel was built by old germans and it had one of those old 1900s elevator where you had the iron cage that oh, you pulled across and, cool. and the old handle that you, you operated the elevator yourself. And uh, But there was there were two symbols on the door and that spoke volumes to me. It says, there's something about that symbolism on that door that doesn't sit well with me. And be, it was the night before we were to film um, one of the, the the crew had asked us, "Go out, do your investigation, see if you get anything, and uh, and then we'll know what to do then the following night." So we did, and we went and 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 held our investigation, and because of I was following my hunch about the insignias that were that, that were on the on the logos that were on the elevator. I asked, what are you known by, during an EVP session, what are you known by in in old Europe? And interestingly, I came back one word, class A, one word, vampire. Oh. Um, and to understand then the type of attacks that was happening on the people in that particular room, everything just clicked in sure. place. I went, okay, now we know what we're dealing with. It probably came with, with, with the Germans. And uh, so... That, that was that, but there was hell to pay whenever they found out that we had investigated and we found this wonderful Class A EVP. Um, and they says, you know, you can't do that. Who told you to do that? Uh, you, yeah. you did. <laughs> yes. so there was a, this We're here to investigate. <laughs> yeah, some, sometimes, sometimes there was a lot of, of good stuff that happened. While the cameras were switched off, there was a lot of attacks that were happening to, to the cast and crew. Um, and while the cameras were off, and it was it was one of those things, you know. I I, I can remember uh, with the show understanding that the ultraviolet, or sorry, the infrared from the cameras was having um, a detrimental effect on manifestation. So I got the guys continually to dial down the infrared in their in their cameras unfortunately it was bad for people who were viewing at home and um, because they like to see everything in green light but that green light was damaging the manifestation so we we had to try and meet it in the middle somewhere um, and when we started to do that we started having great great experiences and my my cameraman snapper god rest his soul he was a he was a wonder to behold to behold and, and work with and and he, he didn't even need to be told. He knew that I liked to be working within the darkness. And, and whenever I really engaged with it, um, he seemed to sense it in, in the air. And being a cameraman, he would have always had the little viewfinder out. So he's watching the viewfinder and things mm -hmm. like that. So it, you're, you're getting the light off that. 
But whenever he sensed the atmosphere change, whenever he knew that, that things were starting to, to happen, he quietly closed the viewfinder. And, and that mark of respect was, it was deeply appreciated from my perspective. Um, he never had to be told. Um, and it, it was a great, great experience. And, and also to, to have that ability to, to mix with, with other cultures and civilizations and things like that and, and understand what they were encountering was something very similar to what we were encountering here back on the island. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, nowadays, um, ghost hunters are always, you, you're talking about your cameraman and infrared and all that. They're always looking for the latest and greatest tools in the field, like REM pods, yeah. ghost boxes. <laughs> uh, you know, and a ghost hunt, what do you think the best tool is to have besides a psychic like me? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think we undervalue what we possess as, as, as a species. Um, and, and I find that the more equipment that we use, the more it serves to lock us into that conscious connection and, and, and into the conscious connection with the equipment and not understanding that there's a bigger arena outside there that we need to connect with the subconscious. And, and if we continue to look at things that are flashing and things that are buzzing and things that are doing all that, it locks us in that spectrum so i find that is is problematic you can have you can have limited amount of stuff you know you can have cameras you can have something possibly that that's scanning the electromagnetic frequency and um, all those things are great but it depends what you're looking for you know if you're looking for if you're looking for the mask that these things can operate under well then yeah okay you'll be messed with and you'll get these little blips here and there and, uh, and everything else. But if you truly want to go up to the phenomena for what it really is, then you got, you, you have to think outside the box. Um, that's whenever you really go on the hunt. And, and for that, then um, they are very much aware of equipment that's being used. They're very much aware of cameras, where the cameras are placed, who's placed them. Um, everything they got is, 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 is all up for grabs. So you got to think outside the box when you go for the real hunt. Yeah, because it's like a smoke and mirrors kind of thing. So they, <laughs> they know that you're over here, but they're really doing something over there. And, yeah. and uh, it's interesting when you can feel the energy because it, they do give off a different energy. So, yes. you know, and when uh, you're in it and you're not looking at your equipment... You can see a little bit better. So do you think that the ghost realm is a permanent state or um, do you feel that they move on eventually in time? <laughs> this will throw the cat among the pigeons. I'm, I'm pardon? I'm sorry. <laughs> this will throw the cat among the pigeons. Uh, yeah, that's right. The pigeons. <laughs> that's right. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that there is a ghost realm. Ah, okay. I think... I think there's an aspect of this, what we seek um, and what communicates with us and can interfere with us. I think that lies behind this deceptive nature of, of, of the ghost realm. Um, and it's, it's interesting when we, when we get occasion to, to communicate with this type of energy that portrays itself to be great Auntie Betty um, or great Uncle Buck 
when we pressure it um, and and some of the information is wrong uh, or something doesn't feel right when we start pushing and, and prodding and it, it detects that we don't believe the deception it's off it's gone right and I say this repeatedly time after time after time and as I say this continually to folks if if the energy is there for our betterment it will not mind a few questions for clarity mm-hmm. most times they don't like the questions and that can be that can be a problem there's also there's also I think there's also the aspect that we have to consider that that there are times when we carry our lives on our shoulders that can be read so when we're testing these things when they're coming through we got to think outside that box and and, and really step up the game um, and I think I think looking at, at the ghost aspect and, and there are many other areas underneath this umbrella that we find a common thread that seems to weep its way through it all and and that that I, I think and, and, and I think yourself and, and Joe also see this that there's a commonality mm-hmm. that seems to run through this which is something that really needs to be explored um, it does not want to be explored but it's something that that we really should be seeking yeah sometimes like like for me sometimes I think I'm reading people's minds mm-hmm. you know not necessarily what the entity is or whatever that the, their minds you know like I'm reading like in a group of people, I can yes. pick up all these people's what their thoughts are, and that confuses yeah, the, the situation I, well, sometimes. I think there's there's the possibility that that you know, if, if a house or a castle, for instance, that has no activity whatsoever, um, when we introduce enough people to it and tell them the story that the place is haunted, right. over the course of time, there's the potential of us creating that archetype. Yeah, yeah, like and, a topola and, and or something, that, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Our archetype topola um, comes under many names. Um, I think there's that possibility in which uh, we can run into trouble. Um, so it's it's not only about about I believe what what is coming through the veil. It's also what we can do. And mm-hmm. um, so it's about really finding that middle ground between both both aspects um, and and understanding that there's a difference in sense of the archetype to what's coming through the veil. And for that, you're not going to you're not going to have a piece of equipment that's going to tell you that. Right. This is something that you have to experience for yourself. You have to recognize the sensations um, and understand the subtle changes within it all, um, and uh, and that comes with experience. So Barry, what you're saying is that you know um, these castles and things, you know, people t- create a history of these, these old castles, especially in, you know, uh, the UK, you know, America's fairly new, so there's not castles like you guys have over there, that people really create the, the spiritual hauntings or things that are going on in there, or what, I mean, what exactly do you think is going on there? So you think that, like, a crowd of people are creating this, this, uh, this feeling? Because yeah. everyone experiences things differently. Yeah. Um, but there are some people who say, well, I saw the lady in white. I saw, you know, the different things. So. <clears throat> it's, it's a multifaceted problem. 
Okay. And we also see this problem within the, 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 the UFO field, mm. in which um, if, if, for instance, you have the observer effect, where you have three people standing looking at the same UFO, three of them will see something different. And, yeah. uh, and that can be problematic, but <clears throat> that in itself can, can infer that they have passed the 22nd rule. Excuse me. So the 22nd rule um, is, is something that, that I've been looking at, uh, at this aspect in which as we observe the phenomena uh, and uh, initially our instinct, our fight or flight, our our gift of discernment is already engaging at that at that at that stage. If it passes the twenty seconds, then we stop listening to that instinct, and we start following the conscious connection that is made, which is possibly why we we have three people seeing three different things, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> because there is that link consciously that is made with the phenomenon. And if if that phenomena continues to have to have connection with us, um, what we tend to see is that uh, it starts to change the brain brain pattern of of the observer, and they start to slip slip into a theta rhythm, and that's where we tend to find um, hypnotic suggestion, um, mm-hmm. false memory. All of that can be implanted at that particular stage. But if we react to the 20-second rule, if we recognize that our fight or flight has engaged before the 20 seconds is finished, then we have, we have, course, we have a course of action that we, that we can take. If we stray past that, that can be switched off. Okay. That, we, that rule will also apply as well within the paranormal, within the paranormal world mm-hmm. um, and many of the other fringe research fields as well. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> And this this is a vast thing, the paranormal. We have a vast amount of things that are that go into that particular category. So, um, so you had talked um, in your bio about a challenging case in uh, Belize, the Zibalba. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, so, what exactly was challenging about that? Zibalba in itself. To reach Zibalba, we had to cross three rivers, trek through a jungle with all our kit. Um, and then get to this watery entrance to a cave system that stretched something like four or five miles mm-hmm. um, underground. So I'm not the best of swimmers, huh? um, but but going into a into a cave system where you can't see the bottom, um, and you've got you've got the kit that that you're swimming in with, you know, considering about the weight and everything else, the physical. Um, um, difficulties that we had getting into that was one thing but what was interesting was an encounter that we had um that seemed to be communicating with us within the cave system and this was the first time that i was introduced to anything within a cave system mm-hmm. and this thing seemed to be responding to our to our questions but in a language that we didn't understand um and it was the sound itself, and I, I didn't understand until much later that that um, for someone in a cave system, if they stand closer or an animal uses a cave system, the, the wall of the cave system, if they stand closer to the wall, the sound travels further. 
So we didn't know how far this particular thing was away, but it was a, there was a type of rudimentary communication was going on with it. And and I took two of the cast, and there was a, there was a camera crew behind us, and we we ended up going past the point where the public were allowed into, and we went away into the cave system. And this thing was clearly communicating. And I remember our guide, he said, do not listen to this. Do not listen to this because our grandfathers told us about this. This will kill you. Mm. Um, so I had to keep that warning in mind when, uh, when we ended up going deeper into the cave system. And we reached a point where the floor of the cave system dropped off and just disappeared into the depths. Now, that particular chasm was maybe only 20 feet across. And whatever this thing was, gave us the impression it was about 20 feet away and around the corner. So that's where it was. Just go a little further. And I looked at the depth and the darkness of the water and I went, we're done, we're done. Uh, and, and I looked at, at the cast and the crew, I turned around and looked at them and said, no, we're not doing this. And I turned and went back. And it was interesting that the moment that we turned to go back, it stopped communicating. And it was later that, that but uh, six months later, that I had an encounter in an old gold mine in California. Same phenomenon. Um, and the same phenomenon also happened in an old iron mine here in Ireland. And uh, the phenomenon, the, 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 the energy within it was, was able to move exceptionally fast. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was the experience that we had. Um, and then coming back out of, of the cave system and being told that there are serpents outside that will, that if, if you're bitten, um, you'll, you'll get two steps. And, and that's it over. So I'm, com I'm coming out of this cave system, thinking I'm going to swim this breath of water again, and then to be met on the other side by a serpent that'll bite you and kill you. Yeah. I thought, oh great, this is fantastic. <laughs> uh, but it, it, that experience led me, led me to produce the book and investigate the book um, in the mist of gods, uh. um, and investigate the underworld. Um, and what was happening in the underworld, and also to the people who make it their occupation to be in the underworld um, for and, uh, and it was it was really really um, shocking to hear what they were encountering but uh, there we go That's, uh, that was that, that was an okay so in 2016 you were a tabloid sensation because it was written that you had mysteriously vanished during a covert expedition in the iron mountains in ireland you were searching for a Neolithic doorway to another world. So, is that true or false, Barry? Well, I'm always looking for Neolithic doorways to other worlds. <laughs> but uh, don't believe everything that appears in Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> and uh, because my wife would have been deeply distressed if I had yeah. her that night. Um, but uh, no, there, there are various there are various things that that I have been searching over here, and and in fact, you know, we we have. Um, started using various different pieces of equipment to try and understand what these doorways are and how they open, how they were manufactured, who built them, and where they come from, and where did they get the knowledge from. Uh, so all of these pieces of the puzzle are now starting to come together. And within these particular doorways, not only do we have the oracles of, of old, 
we also have UFOs that are that are seen in the same in the same locations. We also have strange cryptids that are being reported, um, and uh, strange noises, um, smells, um, and and in fact the old gods make their appearances as well. Um, so everything seems to be utilizing these particular portals. There was one of the portals that I was in on top of a mountain. And th these portals predate the Great Pyramids of Giza. Um, so when I was when I was in one, I, I was simply wanting to record the the sunlight as it entered the the, the main shaft and passed around the, the chamber. And this, I, I have to say, was a, was the summer solstice. And everybody beats beats each other up um, to be in to be in the mountain on the twenty first. But it's a seven day event. So you don't have to, to, to stand on people's toes and fingers trying to get into these chambers. And uh, I was on the mountain by myself, it was about two days later. And for some reason, I, uh, I wanted to uh, record audio as well. It made no sense to do the audio because all I wanted was the visual of the sun passing around so that I could include it in a video. And I went up the mountain further up. and There was no one else there. I was by myself. And, uh, and that was fine. So I came down after around an hour, collected my footage, um, and went back to edit it. Now, as I was editing the video, which was perfect, um, I was listening to the audio. And that's whenever I started hearing what sounded like these huge pillar stones that hold the, the ceilings up, grinding in place. Now, it should, it should be noted that these places, they were built by the serpent worshippers, the mound builders of old. Um, and these, these huge pillar stones were grinding in place. The sound of it was grinding in place, but visually I couldn't see anything move within the chamber. And, and shortly after that, that's whenever the drum beat happened. And it was a, it was a, a two, two, two beat and then there was a, 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 a slight delay, and then there was a higher beat. Now, so it, it would have been boom, 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 boom. And this continued for around 20 minutes. Now, there was no one playing a drum in, in, in that place. There was no one else on the mountain. This was coming from inside the chamber after the stone grinding. Um, and I could not fathom what this, what this was until later we discovered excuse me, that the builders of these chambers were also coming from from uh, Syria, the Fertile Crescent. And uh, they were bringing this 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 uh, style in onto the Irish landscape for a particular reason. And the secondary beat, or sorry, the, the initial bum-bum, the, the, the drums, was also a technique that was used by the Babylonians to mimic their god's heartbeat while they were in the chambers. So you've got this bum bum and then the higher beat. It turned out the higher beat was an echo. 0.3 of a second of a delay, which allowed me to see if this was traveling through air, it's 300 feet. The chamber suddenly opened up into 300 feet. So you got boom, boom, then the sound traveled, reflected, and it's 0.3 of a second, um, 300 feet of a chamber, which is around 16 feet, visually, it's 16 feet. So something opened that particular evening, um, 
triggered by the sun, but it wasn't triggered by us. Mm. It was triggered by the other side. And timing is everything. This is something I often tell um, my colleagues um, in the UK. Timing is everything, especially when you're dealing with these places. Um, you have to be there at the right time. You have to understand the phenomena and, uh, and understand what's, what's happening at it. And you know, since then, years have passed um, and uh, we've been able to see the time difference between um, the event horizon of, of a portal and where we are. 50 feet away, um, we're able to, to measure the time dilation between the two. And, uh, and there, there are differences in time at these locations. And I can tell you, I, I had the pleasure stroke misfortune of <laughs> staying the night at one of these locations. And it was one of the most horrific things I've ever encountered. Huh? It terrified me to no end. And it was connected directly to the ancient serpent worship. Well, didn't you do a documentary on uh, the Serpent Mound? Was that the one in Ohio? Was that the one here in Ohio? Or you no, did it somewhere those, else? those are the mounds here on, on the island of Ireland. Um, not only do we find them here, but, but we also find them in, in right. England. Um, well, you know. Nordic countries and, uh, and everything else, you know. Yeah, well, you know, the one in Ohio is supposed to be the Shawnee. You know, the Shawnee created that supposedly, you know, by the Snake Clan of Ohio. So there's like all that legend that goes with that. And they believe that the history of it is written in the ground so that anything that's, uh, you know, sac you know, you know, has a sacred meaning to it. You know, if you listen to the ground, it'll tell you the story. So that's, you know, that's a little Native American nod to that. So, <laughs> okay. Well, it's, inter it's interesting when, when, we, when we started to break down the the travel of the mound builders, they were moving west. And, and we've seen them and, and their influence, um, especially around, uh, around the, the Middle East there, and their movement across, and, and how that then appears within the Americas as well. Right. Um, so it, th this just wasn't, it wasn't a localized event. This was global. There was a, there was a global serpentine um, um, connection that was going on here that 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 we're, we're trying to break down at the minute to try and understand that and look at history and the manuscripts and everything else mm -hmm. are you familiar with the rune stone mm, that was yes. in uh you know uh, uh, i think it was uh um i can't even think of where it's called uh, <clears throat> um not Wisconsin, but the one next to it. Um, but anyway, the rune stone. So there's like all this history they're trying to, you know, debunk and all this stuff. And so, you know, really the Americas are a lot older than what they claimed for them to be. So that's pretty interesting how that is. But so, you know, you were talk we talked about ghosts and all this stuff. So let's just talk a little bit about demons, shall we? <laughs> so do you believe in demons of the devil? Are they prevalent? What What is your take on that? Um, again, when we go back down through history and we rely on history, um, we see the, the metamorphosis of these particular entities change throughout, throughout the eons of time. The way that they interact with us remains the same. Their appearance is forever changing, and that, that, made, that made investigating them very, very difficult. But when, when again, we, we start following this particular uh, common thread that weaves its way through. Um, we can we can look at, for instance, the idea of of uh, let's say in the modern the modern age we have uh, what do they call them um, um, guardian angels. 
So we, we've got that idea of guardian angels. The guardian angels themselves um, are derived from from the, the the Roman genius, and and that was always seen as as as, as being someone who was good with the arts, was good with, with poetry and things like that. They would be listening to their genius. The genius was always something that was outside. It was it wasn't inside. Today we see the genius as being in here, but our ancestors didn't. They saw them as being outside. They were influencers mm-hmm. on the outside. Genius became genie, became jinn, mm-hmm. became demon, mm-hmm. became demon. So we, we track we were able to track that back through history. Now, the strange thing is, people would get very very annoyed um, and and yeah, I'll leave it there. They would get very very annoyed um, whenever they realize that. What do you What do you mean? I'm listening to a demon and yeah. thinking that it's their guardian angel, right? Uh, so those are things, you know. And, and again, this brings us back to back to that old um, um, thing that I, I continually rant on about. You need to know what you're communicating with. Absolutely, yes, yes. And that's that's deeply, deeply important. Do not take it at face value. Never take it at face value. Question it. All yeah, constantly, questions. constantly question it. I agree. The history of it. I'm <clears throat> very aware that what you're taught is not the reality of what is there. Yeah, and some people have a hard time. Cha- they don't want to change that uh, paradigm. No, you know, I can, paradigm. I can understand. I can understand that that changing, challenging someone's paradigm can be very confrontational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but. The information's there. It's, it, it's up to them. If they make the mistakes, well, then so be it. Um, that's that's that. There's, there's not much we can do on that. Right. Well, a, a lot of people like to hold on to that because if it's outside them, they're not responsible for the behavior or the things that go on. Um, so if they can blame, well, there's a demon. I have a demon on my shoulder. Or this this is the work of a demon or the devil. The devil made me do it. Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uh, people that you know want to look outside, especially in this kind of world that we're in now, where you know I grew up where you do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But now it's like you don't know me. You should you should see what it's uh, it's my way or you know like how I, you know you don't know who I am. So you should look at it as me and not as you or you know so it's interesting how people want to um <clears throat> not go beyond you know listening mm-hmm. they want they want to blame others for their addictions yeah. or all those yeah. other things and so if you if you blame an outside thing you don't have to face the fact that you do have this addiction or this mental illness or whatever goes on with that so well the, the, the problem Dorinda, is, as, as you well know is that that if if um uh, the oppressive nature of, of something that has approached someone, if, if it is able to get a grip and, and, and does attach itself, over the course of time that can create a symbiotic relationship. And Absolutely. that is almost impossible for us, for, for, for the, the lay people. Um, it is very, very difficult, if not impossible, to, to break that. That's not up to us to break. That's up to the person right. to break that connection, and more times than not, after after it's it's like an addiction, and mm-hmm. more times than not, two weeks, three weeks, a month maybe, and they want it back. Yes, absolutely, it's familiar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they like that familiar part. So, 
So um, you also did a a, um, a documentary about a new age, a, a cult about angels. So what was that about? An angel? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, again, that was about understanding what we're communicating with. Okay. Uh, and uh, angelology, of course, is a big thing today. And uh, a lot of folks um, have the angel cards and, uh, and everything else. And, and angels are everywhere. Um, not a lot of people are aware that within Christianity, certainly up until the 5th century, angels were never talked about. They were never mentioned. And uh, I think it was 584 BC, it was Ezekiel that created angels. Up until that point, they didn't exist before then. So what are we calling? Yeah. Well, Uh, wasn't wasn't the devil supposedly a fallen angel? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's (laughs) some Um, religious things. That's what they say. I don't know. Well, yeah, um, there is there is that one one of the fallen ones. but uh, it's it's interesting that that Ezekiel was was utilizing the Babylonian planetary gods. They were the archangels. Mm-hmm. They became the archangels. Um, so previously they were gods. Yeah. Um, and and again, we just got to be careful what we're calling on. Know their history. And, and there's a type of thing that we would tend to do, especially even I, I'm aware of, of some Australian. Um, um, exorcists that um, believe um, in, in, in the form of, of calling in um, entities that are stronger than than the entity that, that, that plagues someone and giving them permission to, to enter someone and, and leave the impressions and everything behind. We have to be very, very careful of this because this is this is also something that originates within Babylon and was also practiced with the demons. Because in, in that particular aspect, if your house was haunted, you brought in a bigger demon to deal with the situation. That's exactly what we're doing today. And mm-hmm. um, so, I, again, we got to be careful. Know the history of it all. Right. And, and the history is there. My God, we have we have thousands of years of 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 people who have had encounters and what they have done, um, and, and 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 what their recommendations are. Um, the history is there. Within the last hundred years, we have taken that because of materialistic values and thrown it out, thinking we can understand psychiatry. Um, through the use of drugs uh, and everything else, and it has its uses. It has been great. Medical medical advances mm-hmm. in the past hundred years have been fantastic. But I feel the separation between medical and spiritual is too vast now, um, and and it's not going to be able to proceed um, without the other. Yeah, we need we do need the balance of both. And um, also to research, like I always say, I always tell people, pick up a book <laughs> and go further, you know, go find something from the 1500s and 1600s, read something like those books. Because, you know, even in the new age of all these different things, like we were talking uh, before about uh, Wicca and, you know, witchcraft and all those things, it's like everybody wants to take this and make it their own, make it more modern or whatever. And there is an underlying thing there, you know? So it's like when you do, 
if you do do a, a spell or cast something, what are you casting about? What are you talking about? What are you doing? Because if you believe in the magic or not, there's an intention there. And the intention is what could bring about whatever yeah. you're doing. So, yeah. <laughs> to bring about your success or your done. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I just have one more thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about this book. My house is haunted. Now what? I love the title of that book, Barry. So, <laughs> so if someone has a haunted house, what should they do? Well, it was a, the, the book itself was written um, as as an overall perspective mm -hmm. uh, from, from a homeowner, homeowner's uh, viewpoint. So you've got you've got a, a research team that comes in, whether they be good or bad, whatever the right. case may be, um, and uh, and they say, okay, you know, we we confirm you've you've, you've got a you've, you've got a problem here. Bye. Yeah, that's what we always say too. They, Bye. <laughs> and they're going they what? <laughs> they they haven't got. Um, the foresight um, to to offer the, right. uh, the, the the people a solution, um, and uh, and the, the book was designed to do that. It was to say, okay, this is this is what can happen. Here are perspectives here, 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 and here um, to to further think about. Um, of course, we don't back any single one. Um, it's entirely up to the up to the, the homeowner themselves right. as to which path they, they wish to follow, which one feels right to them. Sure, uh, and, but they have to be involved because well, I, yes. I, you know, because you know, you know, Joe and I, we do demon hunting, and I always say it's not my demon, <laughs> so it's like you have to participate here. You know, I didn't bring it in, so yeah, yeah, very much so, very much yeah. so. So that's that's really what the book was about. Uh, so my home is haunted by what. Um, it was once the confirmation is there. Okay, what's the next step? Right. What do you do next? And yeah. Uh -huh. Perfect. And so that's that. All right. Well, Barry, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to me about these very interesting subjects. Um, I really appreciate it. So um, my name is Dorinda Stewart, and I am the wife of a demon hunter. Bye for now. <laughs>